Today's daf lamed dalad and aleph. We are at the Mishnah. <coughs> the Mishnah says, "Over the fnei teva, someone who's davening for the army, v'tal, and he makes a mistake." Now, the Mishnah doesn't clarify what type of mistake that it is that we're talking about. However, from Rashi's comments along the way in the sugya, it seems that he skips a bracha. He starts jumping ahead to another bracha, and then this is what's difficult about understanding this. Again, everything's without sidurim and this and that. So what's the din is that he just can't collect his mind. He loses himself. So he skips a bracha. He's ready to go to the next one and everything. He starts and then, boom, suddenly he's like, shoot, I made a mistake. And he can't go back. He can't regain his thoughts. So what's the halacha? Yavr achar tachtav. He should be replaced. He should be replaced by somebody else. Lo sarvan In that moment, you shouldn't be refusing at all. In other words, the mission is implying that in general, there's a value to refusing davening. A person shouldn't be too eager to daven to daven. But in that moment, a person could be. You should just jump up. <clears throat> says the Mishnah, where should a person start from? In other words, this, the person who was davening skipped a bracha. Anybody, he's beginning, he, he goes ahead to the next thing and then he realizes, oh, what's going on? He can't go back. So what's the deal? So the new guy starts, in the beginning of the bracha, that this one made a mistake in. So I guess the simple interpretation uh, of the Mishnah, we'll see in the Gemara. The Gemara will, will analyze this line a lot. But the simple interpretation would be, let's just say, a guy's going and he skips Allah Sadiqim. And he starts with Yerushalayim. He just completely skipped the Brach of Allah Sadiqim. He's already starting with Yerushalayim. People are like, what's going on? And he can't regain his thoughts and start Allah Sadiqim again. So when somebody go, else goes up to the Amud, he should start from Allah Sadiqim. That would be, the, I guess, the, the simple shot of the Mishnah. But we'll see. It's not, that might not really be the end. Someone davening for the Amin should not answer Amin after the Torah because it confuses him. So here we're talking about the, 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 the Chazan, and the Chazan is, is, is uh, prompting, as part of his job here, is to prompt the Kohanim and call out the things, call out the names of the Varech Hashem, Yishmach, Hashem, Panav. So if he would answer Amin at the end of each line, it would be confusing what we'd be up to. So therefore, it's better. It's better that he shouldn't do that. It's better that he just not answer Amen and just be able to collect his thoughts. What happens if there's no coin in the shul but the chazan? He shouldn't dochen. He shouldn't dochen because it's going to be complicated for him to get back to Simshon. Remember, he has one bracha left to go after Berkat's Kohanim. If he, if he dochens, it's going to be confusing for him to get right back to where he's up to. So better that there is no dochening at all than to have a chazan who dochens and then loses, loses his, 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 his footing about where he is up to. But if he is confident, he's got it. He's super confident. He's got, he knows what to do. He's not going to get thrown off by doing dochening and then doubling up and going back. Then Rashad, he is allowed to. Um, he is allowed to. Now, let me ask you a question. From reading the Mishnah, there's a very strong diak in the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, if there's no going but him, he shouldn't dochen. But if he's guaranteed that he could dochen and go back to davening, it is okay. What if there's more than one coin and the chazan's a coin? And he's confident that he can go back to Dochening. Would you say he's allowed to or not allowed to? So I think the, the, the implication of the Mishnah is that he wouldn't be allowed to. The Mishnah is setting up, if there's no coin about him, he shouldn't do it. But if he's confident, then he should. The Mishnah is painting this all in the case where he's the only coin. Where there's another coin, it doesn't, the Mishnah doesn't seem to say that confidence that he's not going to lose where he's up to works. And then better that, that he shouldn't Dochen in that setting. However, the Mishnah Bur already discusses this scenario and he says, for Nagu, that the Minog has become, that for some reason, the Kohanim, even, even when they're davening for the Amad, they just want a Dochen so badly, and they do it, and he gives some Limitzchus for them, but that's really not the Me'ikr Hadin, what should be done. Me'ikr Hadin really is that the Chazan um, should not Dochen if there are other Kohanim. Says the Gemara, 
Tanar Abanan. Overlift the Hatera Tzarek Lesarek. So we're, we're, we're coming off of the implication that the Mishnah gave. Someone who is Dukhaning, someone who is davening for the Ahmed in general, the approach should be that you shouldn't jump up to go. If you don't, if you're just eager to down for the Ahmed, it's like a Tavshil that doesn't have any salt. So meaning, it's like an interesting analogy. The, the, the hesitance to go up it makes the tefillah a little bit better. It's like salt to the top show. If you're, you, you know, you're too, you're too hesitant, then then it's too much salt. It's like oversalted dish. Even if eventually you go up, but there was all this refusal and hesitance and back and forth. So that's like a dish that has too much salt. So what's the proper way? The first time you should just resist. If you should just make small, uh, small, small little motions with his body. And then the third, and the third time he tasks, finally he actually starts going down to the yamen. Says the Gemara Tanur Rabbanon of Raisa echoes the same point. Shalosha, Ruban, Kasha, Umi'utan, Yafa. There are three things that too much of them is bad, but a little bit of a small dose of them is good. Ve'eluhain, what are they? Sa'ar, Umelech, Versavanes. Sa'ar, a little bit of yeast, a little bit of salt. Those are things that too much in excess are not good, but in a little bit is good. Versavanes and refusal, hesitance um, to get up and leave for the Amr. Says the Gemara. This again, we're talking about a chazan making a mistake. We're assuming when it says here he, he skip, that he makes a mistake, we're assuming he skips a bracha and starts and starts the next bracha. So someone who does that in the first three brachos, what's the din? Chozer the rosh. He has to return all the way to the beginning of Shona Eskay. The first three brachos are one unit. So a mistake that is made in the first three brachos, a skipping of a bracha, warrants that you go all the way back to the beginning. But MCOs, if you make a mistake in the middle section of Shemona Esrei, so you have to go back all the way to Atah Chonin. It's one big section. So if a bracha is skipped and then the next bracha is started, you have to go back all the way back to Atah Chonin. Ba'achronos, if you make the mistake in the last section of Shemona Esrei from Ritzay and An, if bracha is skipped and then the next one is started, the Chazan has to go back to Ritzay. So according to Rav Huna, the Shemona Esrei is broken up into three sections. And anywhere within that section, if a bracha is skipped and then the next bracha, next bracha starts, you got to go back to the beginning of the section. That's Rav Huna's position. Rav Asi Amar, in Within the middle section of Shemona Asrei, there's no order at all. No order at all, Rashi understands to mean that we don't even care if the brachas within the middle section are set in order. So let's say, for example, a chazan skips Allah Tzadikim. Right? He starts with Valir Shalayim. And okay, let him finish Valir Shalayim. Ah, he forgot Allah Tzadikim. He'll say it after Valir Shalayim. Change up the order. Who cares? So Rabasi is saying an extremely lenient thing, that within the middle section of Shemona Esri, there is no order. Let the order be the way it is. And if a chazan skips something and says the next bracha, he'll go back to the bracha he skipped. No din of an order bechlal. So in the first section, in the last section, there is order. And if you skip a bracha and you start the next one, Rabasi concedes to Rav Huna that you have to go back to the beginning of that section. But within the middle section, Rabasi's point is there's no order at all. So if you make a mistake and you skip a bracha and you go on to the next one, what do you have to do? Just add in that bracha that you skipped wherever you get up to. It's not a big deal if it's not said in order. Yes. No, that's what we're saying. That it, would, it would be Yotze, according to Avasi, the middle section could be Yotze out of order. Right. So even if the Chazan went out of order and he went on to the next bracha, he'll just recite the bracha that he skipped at any point. First three brachas have to be said in order. So that's why he concedes that if, the, if a bracha was skipped, the next one he would have to go back to the beginning. So says the Gemara, Masif Rav Sheishas, Rav Sheishas asked from our Mishnah. Well, our Mishnah is talking about this exact scenario of someone who skipped a bracha. And the Mishnah said that he should be replaced by somebody else once he can't recollect his thoughts. And the Mishnah said, Me'echanu Chozer, where should the new Chazan begin with? The Mishnah said, Mitchilas ha-bracha sheta'abaf. In the beginning of the bracha, that was skipped. Now, 
We have a big, big dispute here in the Girsa of the Gemara. I'm going to roll with Rashi's Girsa, which is not in front of us in the text. First thing that we see is Tiyufta, the Ravasi Tiyufta. Ravasi's position is, is, is rejected. Ravasi's position is that the middle brachos of Shmona Esrei have no order. So if there's no order, the Chazan, let's say, skipped Alat Sadiqim. And then he's up to, uh, uh, he starts with Yerushalayim, he gets all confused, so we send somebody else up. When we send that somebody else up, why does the, what does the Mishnah say? He starts from the bracha that was skipped. Why does he start from the bracha that was skipped? Let him just say, we're up to believe your shalim, and he'll throw in the one that was skipped whenever he wants. Why is the Mishnah saying that the new one who comes up, Davka, has to start from the bracha that was skipped? That clearly shows that there's a din of order. And the bracha that was skipped has to be gone back to. So clearly there's no way. It's definitely rejection of Avasi. That's for sure true. And the Gemara concedes that it in fact rejects Ravasi, and we see there's an order in the middle section. But says the Gemara, Tiyufta Duravuna, but even more, doesn't it also reject Ravuna? Why? Because Ravuna says that when someone makes a bracha in the middle section of Shmona Esrei, what's the din? He skips a bracha. He has to go all the way back to Atachonin. The Mishnah says that the second Chazan who comes up to replace the person who skipped the bracha does what? He goes back to the beginning of the bracha that was skipped. So let's go back to our illustration. A guy skips Al Tzadikim and he starts with Yerushalayim. He realizes the mistake. He's also tumult. Someone else comes up. What should the new person do? Our Mishnah implies he should start from the beginning of Al Tzadikim. According to Ravuna, he should go to where? Atachonit. So it's also a question on Ravuna. On Ravasi, for sure. We're done with Ravasi. Reject it. Because according to Ravasi, you could just start from the Yerushalayim, throw in Al Tzadikim whenever it's convenient for him. Because there's no order at all in the middle section. So if we were going to reject, reject Ravasi, there is a din of order. But if there is a din of order, where do you have to go back to? Rav Huna said you got to go all the way back to the beginning of the section then. And the Mishnah is mashma that you only have to go back to the beginning of the bracha that was skipped, let's say in that illustration, to go al tzaddikim. So the Gemara answers no. The whole section is called the bracha. It's one bracha that is the whole section. Obviously, it's broken up into all many, many, many brachas. But the point is, when the Mishnah says he returns to the beginning of the bracha that the mistake was made, the Mishnah doesn't mean he returns to the beginning of the bracha that was skipped literally to return to this in my illustration, Allah Tzadikim. He really, the law is he goes back to Atachonin. That's what the Mishnah was saying. He goes back to the beginning of the bracha means he goes back to the beginning of the section. So although that's a little bit forced, that's what the Gemara actually concludes. The Gemara likes Rav Huna, the Gemara is okay with it, and that is the halacha. So it comes out. Solomon, in each section, if a bracha is skipped, and then the next bracha is started, and we get someone else going up there, what's the law? He goes back to the beginning of that section. Says the Gemara, Amar of Yehuda, now that we spoke about the sections, the Gemara moves on to a tangent. A person shouldn't be sholed sarafa, shouldn't have personal requests made within the first three brachos which one answer, or the last three brachos which one answer. The only place to do it is the middle brachos. The approach of the first three is like a slave who is um, literally being the sadr, like laying out the order of his praise in front of his Rebbe. The last one is like an Eved who was, um, I'm sorry, the middle ones, the middle ones are like an Eved who's Mavakish Prasmarabo, he's requesting something. And the last ones, he's already accepted it, he's already gotten it, and now he's walking away from the king. And that's, if you think about it, just for a little bit, it's amazing, the last section of Shemona Esrei, the Gemara is saying it's like Eved was already Makabal Prasmirabal. So when we say the Ritzei and the Modim, really what's going on is that we're thinking Hashem for being Makabal already what we daven for. It's as if it's like an immediate response. It's not a general. The Gemara's, the illustration of the Gemara is he was already Kibal Prasmirabal. So after all is said and done, the only section where it makes sense to put in one's personal request is the middle section of Shimon Asra. 
says the Gemara, Tanur Rabbanu was taught in the Bryce, my spam and Akashel, the Tampa of Nebra, Velazar, Marcos, and we die. Someone once went to Davin in front of the Amud in front of Revelazar, and he was being too long. Now, the Akron explained, it doesn't mean he was, he was saying the word slowly, that's not the point. The point is, he was making many additions. So, Amalit Hamid of Rabbeinu, Kama Arkham said, look how long this guy is. They were upset. Amalahem, Klomach, yes, and Moshe Rabbeinu, is he longer than Moshe? The Chsibe, so Yomas, or Ramalayla, Moshe refused. He died for 40 days and 40 nights straight. So, he can't be longer than them, so calm down. Shuv, there was another time, Isaac with Hamid Akashul of Neva, a table of Neva, Rabbi someone went to Davin in front of, for the Amud, in front of Rabbi Lazar. Why are you Mekatzer here to me, die? He was being Mekatzer, Mekatzer too much, meaning he was going, he was saying it. We were too abridged, meaning he was skipping some of the words. So he was skipping some of the words. So Amalei, Tamilo, Kamakatsu, and said, Look how short this guy is saying. He's skipping some of the words. So Amalei, Rabbi Lazar said, Kulum, Makatsu, Yosem, and Moshe Rabbeinu. Is he saying it in more of an abridged way than Moshe? What was Moshe's tefillah when Miriam got sick? Kelna, Rafana, Allah. So it's five word tefillah. That was the whole essence of the whole thing. So it's not, it's not shorter than Moshe. So it's a sense of irony, obviously, in the Gemara that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu himself. Sometimes was very long and sometimes was very short. Says the Gemara, very puzzling Gemara for a practice that we have today. The Gemara says, Someone who's davening for, uh, for his friend's uh, welfare, something, you know, his friend is sick or whatnot, he doesn't have to mention his name. Just, you think about, you just daven and you think in your head mentally about what it's for. That's enough. You don't have to say the name of the person that you're praying for. Shinemar. When Moshe davened, he just said, Kel Allah. He didn't say Miriam's name. He just said, Hashem, heal her. Who's her? Her. And, and, and Moshe's mind meant Miriam. But he didn't say it. He didn't say the name of Miriam. So, Miriam says the Gemara, points out that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't say the name. So, it seems like from the Gemara that there's no need to say the name. So, why, why is it that the Minag has developed in Klai Yisrael, although it's not necessarily codified that way in Shulchan Aruch, but it seems that the Minag is that we always pray, that we always say the name. Why do we have to say the name? So one of the ideas is whenever we do it in public, we have to. Uh, the private, privately, that's for sure one of the things that Mark Abram brings is that private, this is all Moshe Rabbeinu. So Moshe Rabbeinu is thinking, Hashem, you didn't mean I have to. If you're davening the Echidus or something like that, and you're davening, you could just think it. But whenever you're davening in front of, I don't know, Moshe Berach or other people are here, people are answering Amen or whatnot, then it would be better. However, more than that, the question that the Post can talk about is whether it's even forbidden. Is it considered bad? It doesn't seem to say necessarily in the Gemara is considered bad. The Gemara says you don't need to. Other posts can mention the idea that for us, we have more concentration when we say the name. For Moshe Rabbeinu, he was able to say it, you know, just think it, and he had that Kavana. For us, it helps our Kavana. There's nothing wrong with it. And for us, it helps our Kavana. So maybe it's better if we say it. At any rate, the Gemara says that there's no need. Says the Gemara, These are the brachos where it is correct, where Chazal legislated that a person should bow during Shmona Ezra. Ba'avos, in the first bracha of Avos Tchilo Vesof, the beginning and the end. Ba'hoda, in the bracha of Modim Tchilo Vesof, in the beginning and the end. Ve'im ba'la shu'ach ba'sof kol bracha bracha, ube'tchilas kol bracha bracha. If somebody would like to bow, and another bracha, he's feeling some kavana, he would like to bow in the beginning or end of any other bracha. Lamdin or so shalo yishcha. He's encouraged, we teach him actually that he should not do it. Why do we care? Why do we not want him to do it? So Rashi explains that the reason is, actually not Rashi, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know. Um, the reason why we do this is because once we open it up, then it appears that you can bow whenever you want. It's up to you. You bow. You decide when you want to bow. So someone might get the impression that it's optional, and then the next day no one does anything. Right? You might want to give frame. So we want to make sure that we people remember what's the halacha, what's clearly legislated. So what's legislated is you got to bow in Avos and, uh, and in Modim. So therefore, we actually say don't bow in another, uh, at the end of, or beginning of another bracha. What about bowing in the middle of another bracha? So that's a machlokas rishonim. 
we had the Torah of Tama Dav Chafala, but you're concerned if a person is up to Shmon Asher and the Zebra is up to Modim, if you could bow in the middle of the bracha that he's in, that was a machlokas. In other words, perhaps Chazal's sensitivity was only don't bow in the beginning and the end of another bracha because it might confuse people about what the law is about bowing in the beginning and the end. But if you're bowing in the middle, maybe there is an option. You can do it if you would like. However, other Rishonim uh, did not like that. It says the Gemara Rishonim Pazi, Om Rishonim Levi Mishon Bar Kapara. Head yod for a regular person, Kemosh Ramanu. That's the law that we said. You bow in what places indicated. However, Kohen Gadol, the Sofko Bracha Bracha, Kohen Gadol actually should do at the end of every bracha. The reason is Kohen Gadol is a great leader, so he needs to. To, to become more humble, to be humbled more within the tefillah experience. So for him, actually, he needs to bow at the end of every bracha. And that, because it, it makes him more humble in his davening to Hashem. Ha-melech, if it's a king, so not only at the end of every bracha, tefillah bracha bracha, bracha bracha, the beginning and end of each bracha, he has to double up because he needs even more, uh, to come to more humility. Says the However, with the king, Kivan Shakar, once he is bowed to in his actually, he bows the entire Shimon Esrei. So, this is more, even more of a strong, a strong opinion, more extreme. It, the entire Shimon Esrei is said in one big bow. It says, when Shlomo finished davening, after his fila, he gets up from in front of Hashem, from bowing on his knees. So it seems that he was the entire time that he was davening, the implication of the puzzle is that he was in a state of bowing. So you only get up at the end of the davening. Now the Gemara tells us there are different terms, there are different ways to bow in front of Hashem. So what are the terms? The term of means one falls on his face. So the face is towards the ground, but nothing else. No other parts of the body necessarily are on the ground. Her face, Eretz, to the ground. Kriya, the term Kriya al is when one's knees as well, not only the face, but one's knees also are on the ground. So we see that Lashem Kriya al on one's knees. And then, what is that term? The term is That's a third method of a full out prostration of one's hands and uh, uh, legs. So, I'm not sure exactly how we, how we derive it from that passage. That passage is by Yosef, right? That's by... Uh, that's when Yaakov is saying that he's ridiculing Yosef's name. He's saying, would you really think me and your mother and your brothers are all going to come? So Rashi says, Artsa implies that like it's a full out prostration of the body. Says the So what's this talking about? So this is talking about by Tachan. So Tachanun, by the letter of the law, Tachanun is supposed to be either in Kidar or so the Gemara is saying, however, that Abai and Rava didn't do a full-out thing. They were masli atzluyeh when they did tachnun. What's the idea? They, Rashi says that they lied on their sides. They didn't fully go into the ground, face of the ground. They lied a little bit on the side. So it seems that from the Gemara elsewhere and other places, the Gemara seems to say that in Tainas, that tachnun is a very um, vulnerable in front of the Rebona Shalom. Falling on one's face is like the ultimate sign of vulnerability, where I'll do anything. I'll literally prostrate in front of HaKadosh Baruch. So the Gemara says that great people... Uh, it's very dangerous for them to do tachanun unless they're confident that Hashem will answer them because it's going to be a bizayim. It's a bizayim to, to lay oneself out just in the way you have that in any human relationship. If you lay yourself out and you're not answered, it's, it's humiliating. So great people, Tamid HaChachamim, like Abai and Rava, they actually, Davka, didn't do a full out prostration so that it shouldn't be so humiliating in case of HaKadosh Baruch Hu not answering them. Now we have a minute today that we don't even do that. Our minute became, we just, you know, put our face down a little bit. That's not nothing. You know, that's just more like a remembrance for what tachanun really is. But the real thing is to go on the ground to do a hishdachava. Whether the Gemara is saying Rabbi and Rabbi already eased it up, they were matzli asli. It wasn't full out into the ground. But uh, the concept of what we do is really is really not 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 the essence of tachanun at all. 
Says the Gemara, Tani Chada, HaKoreya Bahudah Ariza Meshulach. One Brisa says, it's good to bow during Modim. Now, don't get confused. When the Gemara here says the term HaKoreya, it doesn't mean getting onto one's knees. See, Korea can mean getting on one's knees, like the Gemara said, but it, it's also a general term. Like it's one of those verbs that just means that. So and now we're done with the three terms of Kida, Kriya, Nishtachava. Okay, done, noted. Now in general, bowing, someone should bow during Modim, Harizim Meshuvah. It's good to bow during Modim. But however, we learn in other verse, Harizim Maguna. It's bad to bow. It's, it's like a disgrace to bow during Modim. So the, why, and why would it be a, a, a disgrace? So whenever you're, you're not supposed, whenever there's no need to bow and you do bow, it appears of haughtiness. So the Gemara is basically saying it's, it's a disgrace because there's no need to do it. If there's no need to do it, then it's disgraceful to do it. So the Gemara says, what's the resolution between the two rises? Is it good to bow during Modim or bad? So the Gemara says, low kasha. So it depends. In the beginning it is good, in the end that it is bad. Says the Gemara, Rava Kara, very good. So, so, so well, hold off one second. Rava Kara, when he was bowing Modim, he did Modim in the, in the bow in the beginning and in the end. He did both. So if you listen to the resolution the Gemara just gave, that doesn't make sense. Why would you be doing this? Right? We just learned our resolutions that it says it's bad. When other brides had said it's good, so we said it's good in the beginning, but bad at the end. But here, Rav is doing both. But I saw Rav Nachman, and I saw Rav Sheshes do that. So he doesn't really, you know, give a great answer. At the end, we just really had a price that, that it said it's no good. But we're saying, yeah, I saw some other rabbis do it. But at the end of the day, the resolution of the Gemara between the two prices is that one should do it in the beginning, but not do it at the end. Says the Gemara of Atanya, Kareba It says someone who bows during Modim, it's disgraceful. If there's no need, then it's just arrogant. Says Gemara, It didn't mean Modim. Hoda means things. It means the things that we do during Hal. Evidently, there were some people who would bow when they said, In the middle of Hal, they would bow. That's what the price means that is disgraceful. But the bow during the Modim Shona Esrei is not necessarily disgraceful. Someone who bows during Hoda. Or during the Hodah of Hala, he's a Maguna, it's bad. So clearly there's two subjects here in the price, a Hodah or the Hodah of Hala. So Hodah of Hala is Hodah Shem Kitav Lomchasa. So what's Hodah? It must mean Modim. And we see that bowing during Modim is disgraceful. It's talking about Hodah of benching. Someone there was oppressed, some people would bow during Nodah of benching, that's disgraceful. So the Gemara is saying, it's definitely disgraceful to do it during Nodah it's definitely disgraceful to do it by Hodah Shem Kitav Lomchasa and benching. Is it disgraceful to do it during Modim or of davening or not? Well, we had two prices. One price said, go for it. One price said, disgraceful. Our resolution is do it in the beginning. Don't do it at the end. It seems that there were some rabbis who were doing it at both. That's like the takeaway of the Gemara. But the big giant problem here in the Gemara is that we had another bride, we had another price in the Gemara. And Lamed and Aleph on the bottom that said, these are the brachos that a person should bow in the beginning at the end. And it listed modem. So the Brites have clearly said, bow in the beginning and the end of Modim. So how, what's going on? Suddenly we get to Lama Beg, we have one Brites saying bow in Modim, one Brites saying not, and we say, oh, just do it in the beginning and not in the end. In the end, it's actually disgraceful. And then we even question rabbis who bowed in the beginning and the end, and we get stuck. Well, they, their only response is that they saw other rabbis do it. What, what's going on? I mean, the Brites have said black on white before, that you're supposed to bow in the beginning and the end of Modim. How in the world can we make sense of this? So many, this is the source for many Rishonim say that our Gemara is not talking about the modem that is davened during the private Shimona Esther. Our Gemara is talking about the modem that is davened of modem de Rabbana. So in other words, in a private Shimona Esther, that was the Gemara in the Ahmed Aleph that you bow in the beginning and the end. Let's clock. Now the Gemara is moving on to the modem de Rabbana during Chazar's Hashats. To what should be done there? There, one price has said, go for it. One price has said, don't go for it. The resolution is to bow in the beginning and not bow in the end. But there were certain Rabbanim who bowed the whole, the, at the beginning and the end. So it's an entirely new discussion. Now, where does that leave us? So fine. So we know in my silence, we're not down at the beginning of the app. But what are we supposed to do then in Motim Durabana? So it's a fascinating thing. 
The Ramah says that the, the din is that a person should bow the whole thing. No one knows this Ramah. The Ramah says that a person should bow the whole thing. The Velta Semech with Vilnagon disagreed. The Vilnagon said, no, we should just follow the resolution of the Brisa, which is to bow in the beginning and not bow in the end, which is, I would say, more of the common practice that is done by Modem Drabana. People bow in the beginning, but they don't bow at the Barakel Aldas. We don't bow at the end. But the essence, actually, the Ramah Shita, people who don't follow that, actually, what they do is they just bow in the beginning and they say bow the entire time. It's like one long bow throughout the entire Modem Drabana that is the opinion of the Ramah. Well, that's, not, that's not even her opinion. Right? I know. It's a strange thing. The Gemara says that they either do it in the beginning or don't do it at the end. The Gemara brought some rabbi did it in the beginning and the end. I must just keep it bow the whole time. Strange. For your own then, both? Yeah. And that's, the, and that's what we're saying. That's the price of the Yom that, that was the advice for that. Just go in the beginning and the end. And I don't know another thing. I don't clearly know what, what, why the distinction is so strong. I don't, I don't you know. It's an interesting thing. That's where the whole thing came from, the discrepancy. I don't have a good reason why, you know, why it's so different at the beginning. Zokta Mishnah. Amispalo vita simin rala. Someone who is davening and he makes a mistake, he skips. What's the idea? It's a bad omen. It's a bad omen to make a mistake. Again, we don't really have this. We have sidurim and this and that. But if somebody loses their, their, where they're up to, it's a bad sign. You forget who's up to, it's a bad omen for those who sent it. The Pinay says the Mishnah, Sheshlucho shall Adam Kimoso. There's a concept of Shlucho shall Adam Kimoso. So it's a bad, it's considered to be a bad omen for the entire Tzibor if the Shliat Tzibor loses where he's up to. Says the Gemara, Amr Olava, Abchanina ben Daisa. Remember, we've been learning about Abchanina ben Daisa. We learned, it's coming up a few times. He was a huge Kaya Hatvila. Abchanina ben Daisa, also remember him with the. But the snake we had the other day, that, I don't know, that, that, that rodent or something that he was able to kill. So, he was He had this remarkable ability that he would just daven sometimes. Sometimes he would say, yeah, the guy's going to get better. And sometimes he would say, no, he's going to die. So, the other rabbi said, how in the world do you know what's going to happen? You're davening, how do you know? If there is a great fluency within my tefillah, it's a sign from heaven that my tefillah has been accepted. If I know that it's not, it's been, it's been ripped, so to speak. It's all disjointed. And the chola, or Rashi has another pshat, means that the sick person is going to become ripped and not accepted. Now, what is this fluency? So, on the one hand, it means, you know, literal, in the literal sense, the words flow out. But you also have to remember, this comes from a time when um, it wasn't regulated set tefillah. So necessarily. So Rabbi Mendoza, is, there's a cre- sense of creativity. So, you know, it's like imagine you sit down to, to write anything. There are times when there's the creative writing just flows and it goes. And there are times when a person gets a block in the head and it doesn't come. So there's a concept like that within tefillah. as if it's an omen from Shamayim, whether or not the tefillah is mokobo at this moment. Says the Gemara, Ahoy, which part of Shemona Esri? It says if a person makes a mistake, it's a bad sign. Uh, if, if, if it's a seabird, it's a bad part of the old So, what, what part of the Shemona Esrei is this a reference to? Amar Pchibar Amar Safra, Mishum Chad Debei, from the names of the Rebbe, the name of one of the people from Rebbe's Yeshiva, but Avos. It's only in the first Prach of Shemona Esrei. The rest of Shemona Esrei is not as it's not as, uh, as crucial, and therefore the sign from heaven isn't so strong. It's only in the first Prach. Some people teach that in the following Brach. It says in the Brach, Someone Davani has to have Kavana throughout all the Brachas. If he's unable to have Kavana throughout all of them, he should at least be able to maintain concentration for one, which is the one. It means that in the first Brach of Shemona Esrei, during Avos, that's the one that a person has to have Kavana for. Says the Gemara, and then again, the, then the Mishnah has spoken to the concept that affluency shows that Hashem is being Makabal Tfilah. Where do we get a source for this from? Amar Mishub and Levi to Amar Kra. This is a Pasik from Mishai. It says as follows. 
Shalom, shalom, la rochuk vilakarov. Amar Hashem urefasiv. So the Gemara is a very homiletical drasha here. Boring niv. So niv means here in this Lashem we're saying boring niv svasayim, like the niv are the lips, right? The speech of the lips. So boring literally means to create, that Hashem creates the ability for the lips to speak. However, the homiletical drasha is boring, if it's strong, niv svasayim, if there's strength, in, that means like in this context, fluency in the way that the lips speak, then shalom, shalom, la rochuk, karib, there's going to be peace all around, because Hashem said that he's going to heal. So boring niv svasayim means if there's Bria, if there's health in the nibs of Asayim, in the articulation of the lips, then it's a sign that there's going to be healing coming. Says the Gemara, now the Gemara is bringing this because eventually we're going to say a different shot in this Pasuk. A little Agada here. All the great promises in the Nevi'im, beautiful brachos that are bestowed upon good people. They're all a reference to people who marry their daughters off to Torah scholars. Someone who does his business for Tamachacham. I don't know exactly what that means. Maybe he lets, you know, he lets the Tamachacham invest. I don't know exactly. Or He's Mahana. He gives pleasure to a Tamachacham from his assets. In other words, he gives him gifts. So that, the, the, that's what the Nevi'im were talking about. There's such great reward for somebody who does that. Someone who connects it to the Chachamim through marrying into their families, giving them things, giving them assets, opportunities. That's what the Nevi'im were talking about. In regard to the Tamid Chachamim themselves, they, their, their reward is even greater. It can't even be said. We get absolutely no even like words to put it into. There's no, it's just beyond imagination what the reward for Tamid Chachamim is. Says the Gemara of Amr Avchiyah, and evidently the Marshal says it, 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 that the simplicity of why it's so important to, connect, to give to Tamid Chacham, and the Marshal says, because the Gemara says, that there's life within uh, being Davik, be cleaving to Tamid Chacham, so, so, so the Gemara says, how do, you, how do you do that? I mean, what are you supposed to do? Hashem, you can't cling to it all. So the Gemara says, through giving to Tamid Chacham and through doing that, it's considered cleaving to HaKadosh Baruch. Says the Gemara, Amr Avchiyah, Barab Avchiyah, Another point, whenever the Nevi'im talk, you know, let's say, for example, they say, like one of the famous Nevi'im, the lion is going gonna, is gonna to lie down with the lamb, right? The wolf and the lamb are going to lie together. That, so what, what, what is that? When is that going to happen? So that's all in the times of Mashiach. In the world to come, we can't even imagine what it's going to be. So what's Olam Haba? So most Rishonim understand the Olam Haba is not to be confused with the Olam HaNashamos, where the soul goes to heaven. Olam Abba is going to be after post-resurrection of the dead when there will be, uh, uh, again, the soul will reunite with the body and we will be living in this world, but in a completely new dimension, which we, is beyond imagination. So all the nevuah, all the great things that are going to happen are during the times of Mashiach. But eventually in Olam Abba, when eventually we're going to be here post-resurrection after maybe our soul has been judged up in heaven and we're back here on an entirely new dimension, then it's beyond, it's unfathomable by what life is going to be like. That argues on what Shmuel said. Shmuel says that the times of Mashiach and the times that we live in now are not going to be that different. The only noticeable difference is going to be that the Jews won't be subjugated anymore. We're not going to have, you know, anti-Semitism and people persecuting us. People will recognize that the Jews are great. Hashem says it's a fact of life. People will always, are always going to be poor people. Meaning poverty will be, you know, a condition that will exist during the times of Mashiach. According to Shmuel, there's one difference in times of Mashiach and now, and that's whether there's going to be persecution for the Jews. So when are the Nevi'im talking about? The Nevi'im would say, you know, the wolf and the lamb are going to, going to lie together. So when's that going to be? 
That's got to be by process of illumination Olam Haba. So that means that the Nevi'im are talking about Olam Haba. So that argues on what we said. We said that the Nevi'im were talking about the times of Mashiach, but Olam Haba is unfathomable. But according to Shmuel, that can't be said. According to Shmuel, you must have Mashiach and the times that we live in now are virtually the same. So the Nevi'im must be talking about Olam Haba. Okay. Says the Gemara, All the great promises uh, to, to, that the Navi talks about are for Baalei Teshuvah, people who repent. For people who have been righteous their whole life, it's unfathomable what reward they'll get. In other words, the reward for Tzadikim will be greater than the reward for Baalei Teshuvah. Says the Gemara, that this piece of Rabbi Vo said, in the place of Bali Chuva stand, Sadikim Gumurim even Sadikim don't stand. So that actually it's the opposite. The Bali Chuva have a higher reward. Shinamar, and now we finally know why we're learning this. The Pasik says, Shalom, Shalom, peace, peace. La Rochuk Karov. To the Rochuk and the Karov. La Rochuk Beresha, first to the one who was distant. That's a reference to the Baal Teshuva. And only afterwards is there Shalom for the Karov for the Tzadik. Says the Gemara of Rabbi Yochanan, who said that the reward for the tzaddik is greater than the reward for Bali Chuva, how does he interpret it? My Rachok, Shahaya Rachok, Midavar Aver Mikara. For the distant one means someone who is always distant from sin, meaning the distant one is the tzaddik. He was distant, meaning he was never within the realm of sin. Well, my Karov, and what does it mean close? Shahaya Karov, Ledvar Aver Mikara, Hasha. He was close, but now he has distanced himself. So he ends up with a fascinating dispute about who is on a higher level, the Baal Teshuva or the tzaddik. Says the Gemara, my ayin lara So there's this idea of this that nothing, no eye has ever seen. They're going to get rewards that the eye has never seen. What is it? What is a reference to? There was a special wine that was created in the grapes and the sheishes made That wine was stored away for the tzaddikim, and that wine has never been seen, and we can't uh, fathom what it is like. Rabbi Shmuel bar Nachmini Amar Zeiden It's a reference to Eden. Eden is a place that was never settled. No person was ever there. Maybe you're going to say it was Adam. No, Adam. Where was he? He wasn't in Eden. He was in Gan. Who Gan? Who Gan? Who Eden? Perhaps you'll say it's the same place. It says the river comes out from Eden to water the Gan. So clearly we see Gan Gan is one thing and Eden is another thing. It's not the same place. So with this idea that Ein Shota is a reference to Eden where no one has ever been. Says the Gemara, Tanar Abana Maisa Shachal Benosh Rabbi Gamliel. There was once a story where Gamliel's son was sick. So he sends two Tamil Chachamim to Rabbi Chanina Mendoza to ask Rabbi Chanina Mendoza to beseech Hashem's mercy. Kiman Chirol. So as soon as he sees them, Olah Aliyah, he goes up to the Aliyah. Ubikish Olah Rachamim. He davens for you know for Hashem's mercy for Rabbi Gamliel's son. How did he know? Evidently, he just was able to tell. He sensed. He knew what was for. Piridaso, when he came down, he said to them, The fever has broken. What are you, a prophet? This is obviously, this is after the time of Nebuah. So, I'm not a prophet. I'm not even the son of a prophet. So is my tradition. If my tefillah comes out fluent, I know it's a sign it's been accepted. If it does not come out fluent, I know that it is ripped. So they were able, he said, obviously his fila was fluent, so it was a sign that the child had, had a fever had broken. They sat, it wrote, and they were able to figure out exactly what moment of the time that was. You know, they looked at their watches, which didn't exist, and said, 10.32 a.m., they came to Rigamliel and they said, I promise. You didn't make anything less, anything more. There's no exaggeration here whatsoever. That was what it was. 
an exact moment that you're telling me, that is when his fever broke, that's exactly the moment that he asked uh, to, for a drink to be brought. So it was true, it was very accurate. Says the Gemara Shuvma, it's a Rebbe Chanina Mendoza. There was another story with Rebbe Chanina Mendoza. He went to learn to Rebbe Chanina So this is really, it's an amazing thing. It's a clash between the giant of Torah and the giant of Tefillah. Rebbe Chanina Mendoza is the giant of Tefillah. You never see Rebbe Chanina Mendoza virtually in Mishnah. It's not in reference to something with Tefillah. Rebbe Chanina was the big Rosh Hashiva Yavna. So he goes and Rebbe Chanina the irony is that his son gets sick. So I'm going to Chanina my son. Please daven for my son. So he places his head between his knees. He davens for Rabbi Yochanan Zakai's son, and he lived. Had I done that, he speaks about himself in the third person. He says, Had Ben Zakai stuck his head between his knees all day long, Hashem went up a pick hair. So he's like, he's trying to say, I didn't have it, and, and, and only Rabbi Chanina was able to do that. So Ben Zakai's wife says to him, What's going on? Perhaps the idea is that Rechanino is a bigger tzaddik than you. So I'm going to lay love. No, it's not the pshat. He is like a slave in front of the king. I'm like an officer in front of the king. I mean, you have the king, right? So who's bigger? The officer who takes care of many things. He's part of his job. He's not the king, but he takes care of many things. Or, you know, the, the secret service guy who's always around. Who, who has better access to the king? The secret service guy. So he slips in a favor and, 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 and the king listens because he's always in right in front of his face. But who's a greater person is the officer. So that's the nimshol to Torah and tefillah. But Bilchum and Zakai is saying, I have the greatness of Torah. The Torah is like a sire of Ne'amelech. My job is to, you know, the, the, the Torah should emanate in the world. I'm like, it's my job, the officer. I teach Torah, I spread Torah in the world. So, so, but at the same time, my access to the king is not as great. Chanina Mendoza dedicates his life as being like an Evid of Ne'amelech. He dedicates himself to always being for tefillah with that Kodesh Baruch Hu. So the Maisa, his Kodesh tefillah is greater. But is a, overall, who is a greater person? That doesn't mean he's a greater person than I am. Says the Gemara, it's a bit puzzling because we had this exact Gemara a few days ago. A person should only daven in, an open, uh, in a place that has windows. So it's good to daven in a closed area, but in a place with windows. It's closed so that it's able to maintain concentration, but there's a window so you're able to see out and see the, 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 the sky, which it inspires. Shanamar, we learn from Daniel, Remember Daniel's fila, the window was open in the direction facing towards Jerusalem. So bakta is like an open valley. So Rashi says that if you daven in a private area, then there's more of a like a more of a humility and ima of the melech that comes when you do that. So if you daven in a very wide place, it's like this expansive mind. Like I get the world, you know. So I'm like those those aren't good thoughts. So to daven in an open valley is not the right thing. I don't like it uh, that somebody who, who speaks about their chatam, meaning if a person sins, it's better to keep them to themselves. Praise with the one who covers sin. So the simple pshat in the Pasuk is praise the one who covers sin because they don't sin. But the Gemara homiletically is saying that even if you do sin, you keep it to yourself, you don't talk about it. The idea why it's bad is because it doesn't show any busha. You don't show any busha. It's like, yeah, I did that, I did that. How was it? You know, like that's the concept of, of not being Few, few questions. Don't yeah. we say you shouldn't daven in front of a window?